You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of SmallAgreHunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. Hey guys, welcome to this episode, episode 8 this year of the Small Lake Hunting Podcast. I know it's been a little while, but we've got a lot to discuss. Some hunting related, some not, but a lot's happened in the last couple weeks for me, my family, and just uh, extremely excited. Let's start talking about it on this episode of the Small Lake Hunting Podcast, food plots, the baiting debate, and a whole lot more. Let's go. All right, so today, guys, it's true. It's been a while, but I've got a lot of news. September 3rd at approximately, actually not approximately, they look down and they know, September 3rd at 1.23 a.m., I became a father. Now, I take that back. I said that phrase because I'm going to go off the hunting trail for just a couple brief moments. Now, I know not everybody's going to align with my thinking. Not everybody's going to think the same as I do, and that's fine. But I use that phrase, I became a father, because that was the one phrase that I hated hearing leading up to the birth of my son, Bryson. I had people tell me, Ty, you're going to be an amazing father. You're going to be incredible. You're going to be all these things, you know, whether they meant it or not. It's just a polite thing to say. However, I already was a father. He just wasn't tangible yet. I was doing a lot of planning, a lot of changing, a lot of taking care of him and his mom way prior to him being present here with us. So just, I don't know, maybe kind of put that in the back of your mind, but guys, fatherhood is incredible. If you are a father listening to this, I completely now understand. You know, a lot of people, I'm a religious person, so, you know, while we're off this beaten trail of hunting, I'll just stay there for just a couple minutes, and, I, and I'm and i sure we're going to get into the debate that I'm sure some of you are listening to this podcast about, which is the baiting debate, but I wanted to start this with just a little bit of a, a side discussion. A lot of people always tell me, you know, you don't understand love, you don't understand what it means to actually love something or someone until you have a child. And I, yeah, I get it. It's the cool thing. It's the neat thing. It's the amazing thing to say. We all understand it, blah, 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 blah. But the moment that that little bundle was placed into my hands in the birth room, I I didn't understand. I thought I did. You know, I kind of knew, but I got it. I now understand what it means to love. I now understand what it means, you know, the fact that, you know, God loves me no matter what I do. There is nothing that little boy can do. That's going to make me not love him. I may be frustrated. I may be angry. I may just be tired of him at times. I'm sure moving forward in our lives. But there is not a single thing that he can do, say, that is going to make me not love him. And that's incredible. 
So, you know, many of you listening to this, like myself, share the woods, share hunting journeys with with a parent, with a loved one, with an uncle, with a father figure. Say thank you to them. Don't take them for granted. Because the love that they have for them, the love that they have for you, is incredible. All right, that's enough of that. But yes, I'm a father, September 3rd, 1.23 a.m., Bryson came into the world. He was 7 pounds, 2 ounces, 20 and a half inches. Everything went good as far as the birth and everything like that. It was really hard on mom. We were there for like three days. She's stronger than I will ever be. Uh, he had a little jaundice. I shouldn't say a little. It was actually really severe, but he's cleared that up. He's starting to gain weight, and he's cleared up uh, the jaundice and everything. So we're all good on that front. So thank you to everybody that you know, was congratulating me, messaging me. I know a lot of you uh, that I've never even met before were keeping us in your prayers, and it it, it truly was um, embraced full-heartedly on our end. So uh, quick food plot update. So food plot update for this year. If you follow Small Acre Hunting on, I believe I shared it on Facebook and I shared it on YouTube. I don't know if it's live on the website yet. Um, and I may not put it up there. It was just a short little update, but uh, we actually went back to the swamp property because one of the food plots didn't quite take. Um, the swamp property, for those of you that haven't followed Small Acre Hunting for a long time or maybe have forgotten, the swamp property is about a 70-acre parcel uh, well, it's it's multiple parcels, but a 70-acre farm that we have permission to hunt that we don't have, like, full-range habitat. All we can do is, like, food plots. So there's a, there's a southern, like, 14 to 16-acre field that is really low, real wet ground, but usually they can work it and get a, get, get, get a crop in. They lose sections of it every now and then. But this year, the spring that we had was the water table was so high, they couldn't even plant it. So this whole 14 acres, give or take, just wasn't planted. So we were able to carve out some food plots that we've never been able to do before. The browse nature of ragweed and pokeweed and just uh, volunteer soybeans. And we even overseeded some upland game blend mix from real world into stuff and had great germination on the floor of this field is just overgrown with weeds. Um, <clears throat> both beneficial and non-beneficial, but, and then we planted a cereal grain trail leading through the middle. There's a main part of it where they really like to navigate from the Southern bedding to the Northern woods. So we made a, a trail of cereal grains cut through this like giant ragweed stuff that we got going on. And then there's a half dome food plot that it spills into that's surrounded by sorghum. And we've got sorghum surrounded on another entrance out and into the field, we tried to plant brassicas there, but it didn't really come up well, except for where there was shade. We got really good rain. We seeded two weeks back, some more brassica, a lot of winter rye. We came back, and everything got hit with winter rye. So winter rye, guys, I'm telling you right now, is a, it's a salvage crop. I mean, that stuff will germinate in high 30s, low 40s soil temperatures. You can save a food plot that you may have thought was failed. You can thicken a food plot. It's just a great idea. If you follow Jeff Sturgis, he actually, I think it's three increments. He like builds dry um, and he plants it all the way into October, which I will probably hit my food plots with rye if they're needed. 
if it's needed into October as well. Um, the hunting season is long. I, and, you know, this year it probably depends on time. I just don't know how much time I'm going to be able to get out. Um, I haven't been able to hunt the Indiana reduction zone areas. As those of you that have followed know that I have a couple of properties that fall into that. I could actually start hunting in September or on September 15th. Have to take a doe before you take a buck until October 1st, and then you can use your normal tags if you wish. But, yeah, that is kind of the update for me. The, uh, the new 22, actually, my personal property is doing well-ish. Um, it, it was pretty young when we checked on it. You know, I planted around the 1st of September, and we were in mid to the, the latter 3rd of September when we checked it. So it only had about a week or two worth of real good growth. So it was kind of hard to gauge the brassica success. Those of you that have planted brassica know that, you know, it really can kind of slow germinate at times. You think it's not quite taking like you wish, and then a good hard rain or two, and bam, that stuff will just explode even weeks later. So one of the plots is uh, predominantly uh, purposes brassicas, so planted it kind of thin. Um, I don't like to plant my brassicas extremely thick, but I definitely, it was all brassicas, and then I, I dusted it with uh, harvest salad from Real World, and then some winter rye this last week as well. Uh, yeah, it was roughly last week when you listen to this. But uh, another food plot was predominantly cereal grains, and then I, I probably about half the normal rate. I top seeded it with plot topper, but it's looking really good. The clovers finally bounced back from the from the drought we kind of had with high high temperatures and no rain. It was really starting to <clears throat> kind of lag behind stuff. But yeah, we've got great great uh, movement out there. We've got some incredible deer. Um, I, I know I don't share as much as I used to in the past, just because I was burned multiple times by people. But you guys know I'm chasing Bertier out there. That's one of the bucks out there. Um, the swamp property is absolutely covered up in bucks this year that I probably would be willing to fling an arrow at. So, and a couple of the other spots like the Homestead property, a buck just showed up that Pop said is a no doubter. So, I mean, we've got options this year. So it's kind of a matter of where I have time, what's the right conditions, and uh, if I can make it out there, try to make it happen. So that's kind of the brief update of our situation right now. I may get out this weekend to do a, a targeted doe hunt. The, the, the advantage, to those of you who don't live in Indiana don't know, you know, if you, if you hunt a reduction zone in Indiana and you tag a reduction doe, you earn a second buck tag. We are a one-buck state. Unless you get a draw hunt or a state park hunt or something like that, you can, you know, exceed that. But the, the, the way that I can earn two bucks is through earning the second buck tag on a reduction zone property only. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Actually, Pops, Pops' hunt for Dovahkiin last year was thanks to an early September doe that he took on a reduction zone, which then made it possible to be hunting with a gun as late as he did last year in a reduction zone property and downing that buck. So, yeah, that's what we got. All right, so we are 10 minutes in, and I haven't tackled probably what's going to make people click on this podcast more than the other two topics. You know, we all love babies, whatever. We all love talking about food plots. Yeah, whatever. But the great bait debate. I'm going to try to tackle this from my perspective. And the reason why I'm doing this is because if you follow me on social media, you know it's come up a couple times in the last month or two. And it's really started showing and, and rearing its head, especially for those of you who live in the Midwest, especially if you live in like Indiana, Michigan area. 
Um, there was there was a post going around with Ted Nugent talking to it looked like legislators up in Michigan talking about baiting and blah 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 and all this stuff because you know Michigan now made a rule where it's illegal to bait where they used to have some restrictions if I understood correctly they could bait but it was at a certain amount at certain times possibly I don't know but anyways they they basically made it illegal Indiana it's been illegal for years to do it within 10 days of the hunting season or when you're going to hunt um, I don't bait I've experienced baiting and that's actually part of where this is coming from but I wanted to try to touch on one thing you know this is not a debate of whether baiting is right or wrong we all have different definitions of kind of what is right and wrong but that doesn't necessarily always correlate a hundred percent with legal illegal so let me make this very clear to start with this is not a debate of whether baiting should be legal or should be illegal. This is not a debate of whether you should believe it's okay or it's not okay. That is a decision that you have to make personally as a hunter. Um, if it's illegal, you're not a hunter, you're a poacher. So let me make that very clear. This debate and what I'm going to talk about is the fact that whenever baiting comes up, there's those people out there that believe that baiting is no different than food plots it's no different than an ag field what's the difference hunting over corn whether it's on a stalk or it's in a pile okay i get that it's completely your right to feel that way what i'm going to attempt to do is to the best of my ability articulate some thoughts some points that i think you need to consider because in my personal opinion that is that that is just and I'm not calling you this. I'm using the term for the definition of the word. To me, personally, making such a statement that a bait pile of corn is the same as hunting a food plot is, in a sense, ignorant. It's an ignorant stance to take from the sense that there are dr they're drastically different, in my opinion. Um, so again, this isn't a debate whether you should bait or not if it's legal in your state. If you want to bait and it's legal, go for it. 100%. Hunt how you want to hunt. As long as it's legal, kudos to you. Whatever, you know, I'll draw my speculations where I may, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dog you. I'm not gonna say you're not a hunter. I'm not gonna say all these negative attributes or things about you, um, just because you choose to do a legal activity, legal action. Um, I kind of, I kind of liken it to the fact that you know I'm not a huge fan of hunting deer or animals with dogs, really, but I understand in certain states that's kind of a way of life. That's kind of a norm. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm ignorant kind of to that style of hunting because I've never been around it. It's not something in our state, but it's similar to that. I'm not going to necessarily talk bad to you. I may have my own personal opinions of it, but that's where, that's where I stop. But what I'm going to try to do is give you reasons why I feel that stating that hunting over a corn pile is equivalent to hunting over a food plot is just, I'm sorry, in my opinion, ignorant. So the first is, is kind of you know, and let's push large agricultural practices aside. Yes, there are certain chemical applications and things that can overcome drought and mother nature. But the most, you know, one of the first things is a food plot. Once I work the soil, once I plant that seed, I'm at, I'm at mother nature's will, basically. You know, there, there's no amount of money or, or thing that I can throw at that food plot that's going to make it grow if Mother Nature doesn't cooperate. There's been years where I've had to plant rye two or three times after an initial planting because it didn't work out. There's been years where food plots have just been scrapped. I mean, it just is what it is. 
So, you know, and, and a, a corn or a pellet or apples, they're corn, pellet, or apples or whatever you use, no matter what the weather conditions are. I mean, if I put corn out there that day, it's going to be edible that day as corn or as apples or whatever. It doesn't matter if it's raining, if it's dry, if it's been a drought for a week, or it's not. If it's a monsoon, it doesn't matter. Now, obviously, I put a bait pile down and it's a monsoon hurricane and it's in foot of water. Yeah, it's going to take it away, but that's an extreme example. But so for the first thing is just the simple fact that, you know, if I'm running a bait pile... If I'm running a bait station, I control the delivery of it. You know, I, I put it out there. It's fresh when it hits the ground. Well, a food plot, I don't have that control over. No one does. So that's the first thing. That's the first way. Um, perhaps the biggest way, and many people will point to this one as the largest difference between them, is the simple fact that you know, outside of the unique situation where somebody may actually spend the money to, say, fence off soybeans or something like that, there is a way to temporarily control the access to it. But once you take that fence down, you don't have, you do not have any control over when that deer eats that food. The, the accessibility of that food is done at that point. You know, when I plant a food plot, I don't fence off food plots. I don't have all the fancy solar panels and electric fences and i would say 99 percent of the guys out there don't it's a great tool you know for hunting if you think it's something that you want to do but even if you do that when you take that fence down you have zero control over when that deer or those deer in your area the localized deer herd consumes that food plot you don't you only controlled when they couldn't you don't control when they can whereas in a, a, a bait pile maybe i Maybe I hit that every day at noon, I run to it, put out another bucket full of corn. Or every three days at noon, I put out another bucket full of corn. I know guys that do this. I mean, if you want to condition the deer, you've got to really go about your baiting well. Or, you know, we had a feeder at one time for off-season uh, feeding of the deer. My, my dad did, and it was battery-powered. You could set a timer. That thing would dispense on a, on a dime when you told it to. You control when and how the food is delivered to the deer. I can't control it. I don't have a big cage that raises and lowers when I want the deer to use my food plots. I just don't. Nobody does. I mean, that's insane. So not only are you at the will of Mother Nature, you don't control once that food's available. You don't control when the deer can use it. They can use it at midnight, 3 a.m., 2 a.m., 12 at night, 11 at night, noon, 1, 4, 7, 8, any time of the day, they can access that food plot or that agricultural field. They can access it. They can eat it. You're not controlling it. The delivery is not controlled by human hands putting it there at that point. Yes, a human does plant the seed sometimes, but you know what? You could ban food plots, and I'd just do a lot of herbaceous vegetation encouragement, and I'd have food plots, air quotes, on a podcast. Picture me putting air quotes in. I'd have a food source. I'd have. I, I would. I would. It would. It would still be possible. Still be possible. So you're at the will of Mother Nature. You don't control the timing of it and things of that nature. The third difference is the simple fact that you know when you do a bait pile, it's in a very consolidated area. 
typically we're not talking, you know, more than maybe what, 15 square feet, a 10 foot circle, uh, something with a, with a radius of 10 feet. Um, that means a diameter of 20 for those of you that maybe forgot all that. But, uh, you know, you're using a very small area, whether that be throwing corn or carrots or vegetables or corn or pellets, um, feed supplements, things of that nature. You, you're, you're controlling the area of it as well. So not only are you controlling when it's delivered, you're controlling, you know, Mother Nature isn't a factor. You are also controlling the very condensed and consolidated area that that is. Now, I've never met somebody that when they're, oh, we need to do a food plot right here, they do it the size of a bait pile. No. I mean, unless it's out in the middle of a field of tall grass or something like that, a food plot of that size isn't even going to be possible because it's not going to get enough light. But secondly, a food plot of that size isn't going to have enough food source. There's not really a product out there unless you have extremely low deer density that you could literally do like a 5 by 5 foot section uh, food plot and the deer not mow it down. I mean, even clover... If that's the only food plot on your entire property, it's probably going to get hammered and it's going to be ate to dirt. But where I'm going with that is the simple fact that not every deer that enters a food plot do you have a shot. Every deer that that comes to a bait pile, if the bait pile is doing what it's supposed to and you've done your part, you're going to get a shot. You have a shot opportunity if that deer feeds upon or visits that bait pile. You know, I say all this with... The mindset of I used to I used to be so anti baiting, um, even more so just negative. I don't think there was a place for, you know I used to not think there was a place for it whether it was legal or illegal in your state. But then you know I met some people and I've I've met more hunters and I've I've come to realize that baiting is just another tool that some hunters utilize and that's fine. But again, that's not the debate of this podcast. That's not what I'm trying to convey. I'm just trying to get people to realize that you cannot say that they're interchangeable. You can't say that a food plot and a bait pile are interchangeable. You know, whether you're a crossbow hunter or not, you can't really argue that a crossbow is the same as a compound bow, and you can't really argue that a compound bow is the same as a traditional. You just can't. Like, logic doesn't allow you to compute that in your brain. And if you claim such statements, you're just purposely being ignorant. And, you know, I I just... There's so many people out there that can't even articulate why they feel that baiting is not the same as a food plot, but then social media people get so stupid, they don't even want to listen, they don't want to take the time to convey. You have like 12 words to to grab most people's minds. Like, like I laid all this out in a post the other day, and some dude was like, I don't have enough brain power to read through all that, so I'm just going to assume I disagree, or something like that. I mean, it's like, okay, so you're going to comment, but you didn't even read. Sorry, I didn't just write it in a headline fashion where you didn't actually read the meat of it like society does these days. But I used to be so negative about food plots, which is where I was going with that before that little side tangent. But I used to be so negative about them, and I, but I had never experienced them. You know, growing up in a state where you can't bait, it's illegal to bait while you're hunting. You know, it's just something that you don't do unless you want to be a poacher. So, but then I went to Kansas, and in Kansas it was legal. I don't know if it still is. I haven't been back since, but it was still legal at least then to bait. And I can remember the the owner always being like, you know, they really they feed up out of this food plot right here. They they head towards the food behind you, but that you know they'll funnel through that bait station right there attached to the tree. And I just I, coming from a state that didn't really 
believe in baiting. I can remember one night we hunted and he actually hunted that stand and I was at another one and he almost had a shot at the biggest buck. And I, and you know, that was like when I was like, you know what? I drove all the way to Kansas. I paid the tag. I'm not a rich person. I'm a young college student at that time or I was just out. And I was like, I got to make this happen. So if I got to hunt over bait to maybe get a chance to entice a buck with the does to hit the bait, blah, 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 I'm going to do it. Well, then I sat over that bait one night. And it changed my thoughts, but not in the way that, you know, some people are going to be like, oh, it changed your thoughts. And now you're like probating if it is. No, I, it actually, it actually gave me concrete reasons why I believe that baiting just isn't for me. It's not something that I, I just don't like it. It doesn't have a good feeling in me. I don't enjoy hunting over bait. Every single deer that had any inkling to come to my area came to that bait station pile. Now, whether that was to eat or check out the scent trails left by other deer, like, I mean, I could shoot every single deer that walked through that area I had a shot at. I mean, it was, it, 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 it was eye-opening. It was amazing. Don't get me wrong. It was fun. I enjoyed seeing all those, the deer that I saw, you know. Um, unfortunately, none of them were, were big antlered or mature, bucks that is you know i had a few mature does do it but it was uh it was eye-opening and it kind of kind of concreted in me this concept of yeah you know what you want to bait bait that's fine some of my closest friends bait some of my best hunting buddies bait obviously not in indiana because i wouldn't be friends with them but they live in states where it's legal they do it they're successful with it at times most of their big bucks haven't been killed on the bait stations anyways they, a lot of them use them as just recon centers and such. And that actually gets me back to point number four. So if after hearing everything that I've told you, you still don't, you know, Ty, you're, you're full of crap. Okay. So if, if, if a bait pile is no different than a food plot or a field of corn, then riddle me this. Where it's legal on a large bean field or on a three-acre, five-acre bean field or cornfield food plot, why do guys throw corn out and put a camera on it if it's no different? If it's no different, then that's not going to have any greater impact on getting pictures. But again, that's an ignorant stance to take it's it's it doesn't follow through when you actually look at the data you know if you offer a pile of corn um, even mature bucks are gonna come and probably visit that they might do it at night most likely depending on how you run your bait piles or your feed station supplemental feed however you want to say it you know however you do it they might just come at night but they're gonna come because there's other deer there they're gonna have scent trails they're gonna check glands they're gonna be probably some scrapes nearby or on its way and such so for inventory purposes, they get a lot more pictures there than just setting it up on a food plot. But I thought baiting is no different. Well, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't follow the logical steps to a conclusion. So again, I don't say all this to like change your mind. I just say all this. You, I just think you really got to admit that it's not the same. You know, you might view it a lot closer than me, but you can't really argue that it's the same. I mean, it doesn't make sense. So, and and I'm not trying to offend anybody. And you know what? If 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 you hear all this and you still feel like you've got 
a counterpoint or two to come back at me, hit me up, smallacrehunting at gmail.com. I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to read it, maybe correspond with you a little bit. And I understand there, there's exceptions to every little example, the extremes, but the normal across the board, I feel like these four points do hit home as to why a food plot is just not the same as a bait pile. And a bait pile is just not the same as a food plot. And I think anybody out there that's listening to this that really have done both, while you might think they're both they're both right and they're both okay, and that's fine. That that is not what I want to have a bunch of emails coming at me. Ty, why are you so anti-baiting? Blah blah blah. It's legal. It's all this too. That is not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying, and you've missed the entire point. All I'm saying is we cannot use them interchangeable. We can't say that. We just can't because they're not. My muzzleloader's not a rifle, and my shotgun's not a rifle either, even though they each have triggers, and they go bang. It just is what it is. So hopefully I've articulated that. Hopefully I've conveyed it a little bit. Now, a little bit of a side note, you know, I'm all about habitat and all this kind of stuff. So personally speaking, even if baiting was legal in my state, the only time I've really wanted to bait is off-season, like true supplemental feed programs. But those have to be so regimented. They have to be so. They have to be followed through so stringently, and the deer can can artificially start to depend on you, and they will stick around an area that is not the most winter conducive for wintering over the harsh weather conditions for the area deer. You know, a bait pile can do great things for them in the winter if it's true supplemental feed, and we don't want to do just corn and all this stuff. But you've got to really follow through, and it's expensive. It's really expensive. But that's where, like, baiting is not the same as supplemental feeding, in my opinion, either. But that's a whole other topic for a whole other debate. But another thing why I just don't think I would do it even if it was legal is the fact that I believe that a true good habitat plan makes baiting unnecessary. Makes it unnecessary. And that's just my opinion. I know there's going to be many guys out there that, that don't hold to that same belief, and that's fine. But I know a lot of you guys have kind of said, Ty, why do you always... You know, you like to try to play in the middle. And you don't ever just state a definitive. Well, my definitive stance is I don't think baiting is necessary. I think if you have to bait to be successful or bait to have deer use your property, your property there's holes in your habitat bucket, and, and maybe they're even really big. They're not just small holes. But that's just my personal opinion. And if you want help with that, reach out to me, smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Um, I'm really going to try to do a lot more consulting work. I've turned down for years a lot of people asking me my thoughts and, and trying to have me out. I'm going to try to do at least a half dozen visits this next year to properties and really try to be the most cost-beneficial digital consult that's out there to just kind of get your brain going, get your get your juices flowing in what a direction and a plan that you can do for your property. I'm working on the Small Like Your Hunting attack plan. That's going to be something that anybody can can grasp, and I'm just going to – go into properties randomly on Google Earth, and we're going to talk about what my initial thoughts are, how I would go about just with all the data that I can collect on that property, and then I may do some hypothetical situations. But basically the whole point of the Small Acre Hunting Attack Plan will be put you inside of my mind where, you know, by the grace of God, I've been pretty successful on the properties that I've hunted. Some of them I can do nothing on. Some of them I can do everything on. And then all in between. So whatever your situation is, I feel like hopefully maybe putting yourself and trying to let you into how my mind operates and what I'm looking for and what I'm trying to create 
and that goes from everything from hunting tactics to habitat plans. That 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 small hunting attack plan is all inclusive, from scent regiment to approaches, entrance and exits, hunting tactics, when I choose to hunt and when I don't, uh, plot placement, bedding placement, the the perfect triangle as I like to call it, and I'll get into that some other time. But I just I'm working on all that. So if that's if if you feel like you are just lost on on trying to figure out how you want your property to flow. Maybe you want another set of eyes, you know, and if I don't feel like I can help you, I will never charge you. I've told, I'm actually, I've got a couple and, and I'll be honest guys, during the hunting season, I will put you on a list. I've got two or three others right now that I I had to start saying, you know what, I'm going to put you on a list. I'll review it when I have time. It'll most likely be after the season in December or January when I start slowing down. Sometimes I look at it before the season's ended, but I will look at it. I will review it. And if I think I can be beneficial to you, I will then be like, okay, do you want a digital consult? Do you want an on-site consult? This is what I, I feel like I can offer to you. And I, but if I feel like I can't quite help you, I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't feel like I have the right grasp of it. Or I just don't really feel like I can be of assistance to you, genuine assistance. I, I won't, I'm not going to charge you. And unfortunately, I may not be able to help you. I've only had to do that once or twice. I've thrown a lot of ideas out there to people for free that I just was like, you know what, I, it's, a, it's a unique situation. I'm just not sure, but these are some of my initial thoughts. And they're, they're not always fleshed out. They're not really in-depth. But I know some people out there can relate to that because I've done that for them. And hopefully it was beneficial. Hopefully it at least gave them that first step, that little nudge to, hey, I can do this. Let me do this. Let me Let me just focus on this little aspect of it. So... But that'll wrap up the whole topic, the new sun, food plot update, the baiting debate, um, and hopefully I've articulated that, and it's not really a debate. It's just more or less an acknowledgement of the fact that they're just different. They really are. The only thing similar between them is a deer's belly can get full off of both. So This is Ty, guys. It's been over 30 minutes, but under 40. God bless. Good luck out there this season, and I pray that every single blood trail you are on ends happily. God bless. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.